0: Hey there. Welcome to the show. Wow, what a week. I know a lot of you have been just waiting to hear what I have to say about interest rates. And I'll get there. Don't worry. I've got a couple of professionals lined up to talk about it. Uh, Just so you know, Bryn Lackey from the Toronto Sun, she's going to be joining me, as well as Dave Butler from BM Select. We're going to have a great conversation about what the heck is going on with the Bank of Canada. You know what? I got to tell you, I am a little bit surprised at that move. And I'll talk about that in a second. But just so you know, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at thesimpleinvestor.com or you can go to thesimpleinvestor1 on Instagram. But yeah, let's talk about the interest rate before I bring bring in Bryn. Um, yeah, Bank of Canada got real aggressive on everybody. And it's interesting because if you read the narrative of what they did as far as their post-media stuff – they actually you know, really indicated that they're going after the real estate market. They want to cool the real estate market. So what do they do? They get real aggressive because they know the trickle-down effect on mortgages is going to make people pause. So um, you know what? I, I think they're way offside with this one. And I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, but, Todd, we got to control inflation. We do. But it, just so you know, the numbers were already changing. We didn't need to sit there and jam it down everybody's throat. And I think that that's where the aggression came out is the fact that you know they definitely want to turn around and make a statement and you know this is something that you know we've had different people managing the Bank of Canada and I think this one may be a mistake getting that aggressive they were calling for three-quarters of a point they decided to do one percent uh... as an increase and again you know what we'll wait and see over the next few weeks what happens in the market I'm going to tell you what I think I think it's going well it will cool the market I think that you know, prices, I'm not going to say they're going to fall much because I think really what's going to happen is people just aren't going to sell. They're going to realize they're going to stay put and then we'll wait until, you know, they throw us into a recession. Then they're going to drop down the interest rates and then we're going to see how we all adjust. But um, you know what? I think uh, I think I could bring in uh, Bryn now because quite frankly, um, you know, Bryn Lackey, she is a, a Toronto Sun columnist, registered real estate professional with Chestnut Park. And Bryn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Always great having you, and uh, I got to tell you, um, you know, I've been watching some of the articles, not just yours, but everybody else's, and and one came to mind, especially because of, you know, recent events this past week. Uh, can the media crash a real estate market? And the Bank of Canada threw up, you know, just for, just for fun to keep us on our toes, a one point increase a uh, one percentage mm-hmm. increase on the, um, on the interest rate. So Bren, can you tell us kind of your motivation behind, can the media crash at a real estate market?
1: Especially in my columns, I have been because I'm a real estate agent, I'm a working real estate agent. Things have been a little funny since the peak in February. So, um, things that I was noticing even in terms of offer registration, showings, all of that kind of stuff. Um, every time we would talk about it, um, there would be pushback that oh no look this is fear mongering. Anytime anyone would sort of say these rate hikes they're going um, to cause affordability to plummet, they're going to cause buyer reticence, they're going to cause all sorts of things. Um, the pushback was you know you're hurting buyer your sentiment. So I think that that's an ongoing discussion. I think that yes the media we have a machine that likes to you know produce content, but at a certain point um, the numbers become hard to deny. And so I think up until now, we know that buyers in the real estate market are particularly sensitive. Um, Their sensibilities can make or break a season. But in this case, I don't think we have something where we have just people taking a pause for no good reason. I think we can currently have a, a pretty large tectonic shift in how the real estate market works. So I'm not sure the media could have done that. I think that's all Tiff Macklin.
0: <laughs> so, we'll, so the head of the Bank of Canada is is monkeying with the real estate market. It's interesting because of some of the some of the follow up from the recent uh, increase to the Bank of Canada rate, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, it's the move for the Bank of Canada to cool the real estate market. You know, it it seems like a very targeted approach. And of course, they they'll back it up by talking about inflation and you know, one of the things, obviously, one of the biggest drivers is the gas pumps and things that are costing more, you know, a lot of inflation is being driven by that. But, you know, it's interesting how, you know, the first part of the narrative when they talk about, uh, you know, a full percentage increase to interest rates, you know, they immediately say to force the cooling of the real estate market. And, you know, this is... This is something I've talked a lot about on the show is that I sometimes believe that the government has to be careful of the intervention because it normally becomes a balancing point naturally in real estate. You know, people get tired of the multiple offers, people just say, listen, I'm not going to pay it. And there's kind of a natural, you know, um, balancing, not one forced by the government. And I always find that government intervention into the world of real estate is, is normally not a good thing.
1: I mean, I think that would be generally speaking pretty correct. I think in this case, Yes, there's certainly a cooling effect on real estate, which incidentally, was already at play prior to yesterday's announcement. I think inflation more broadly speaking is, um, sort of an imminent crisis that they're trying to deal with. So I'm not as much as this cools the real estate market. And that's a good thing. Um, sorry, by their standards. I think this is about even more than that. I think, a, you know, a lot of people were predicting a hike yesterday, Um, I think even the people who like to be contrarians, they were pretending they could see a 1% coming. No one actually did. I think even the people who thought that was a possibility were still surprised when it came to pass because I think the Bank of Canada has been pretty um, timid in its moves so far. They really dragged their feet in doing anything to rates because I think just to your point, they didn't want to get in there and muck things up. But I think the fact that, you know, in the U.S., they're... um, CPI came out at 9.1% yesterday, which was like higher than they had expected. I think everyone's now in panic mode trying to make sure that this inflation doesn't run just crazy out of control. And I think that up until now, there has been a, a huge reticence to do anything that would sort of slow the role of the real estate market. And I think now that's not even a consideration. I don't think they care. So let's
0: let's talk numbers for a second, Brendan, because you know one of the things that um, I do discuss kind of on a regular basis is the fact that Okay, so we're gonna have some heat on interest rates for, you know, the next little while. They actually have said that they think they're gonna kinda of peak in twenty twenty three and then, you know, depending if we go into a recession, things like that, then they can see some cooling and they they believe that once inflation's under control, interest rates will then come back down a little. You know, when we take a look at the numbers though, you know, currently if you talk about people's mortgages and we know that you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will go to a fixed rate mortgage because they just feel that there was security there. And back in the early part of 22, 21 and 20, you know, we had some really low interest rates that people locked into. I can tell you, I did, you know, for a five-year fixed uh, at an incredibly low rate. Nobody wants to hear what I have on air, but, you know, big picture stuff, You know, you know, we don't have to worry about anything for the next three, four years for renewal. So, I feel that there is you know, there is a segment of the market that will definitely feel this, but there's also a big segment of the market that perhaps will not.
1: Where the people are really gonna feel it. I think, yes, you're absolutely correct, I think. And even actually, historically, if you look at studies, um, they have tracked it. People who have been in variable rates typically um, come out ahead of those and fixed. So this might be some short-term pain. Presumably, you know, you stretch it out longer it will balance out so yes i think you're right i think the people who are going to feel this it's not just interest rates i think uh, sorry it's not just mortgages i think there is a huge rise in people using home equity lines of credit um credit card debt using a, even if you look at small business owners how they made it through you know six thousand rounds of lockdowns i think there's a lot of people carrying a lot of debt and up until now um we've used our houses kind of as banks. So this is suddenly changing that. And I think that there are a lot of people made decisions based on the idea that interest rates would stay low. Do I think that people are going to be losing their houses? No. Do I think that a lot of um, forward moves are going to be stalled? For sure. I think small business owners, this is going to impact their ability to operate. This is going to impact their plans for expansion. Um, So it's not just about real estate, but I think it all spirals back to the fact that real estate is such a huge part of our, you know our economy in Canada and it's been used as, as a feedback so
0: let's let's talk about you know the future okay so here you are you're, you're a realtor you're working you know day to day as a realtor in the business you know you'll have some people probably pause but there's still the people that need to buy that require a home perhaps they've already sold their home haven't bought a home you know, where do these people sit and where do you as a realtor sit when when this current situation's in front of you?
1: So I've actually been having a lot of these conversations. I think that for people who I mean, we're also coming off of two and a half years of pandemic. Um, I just got back, I was in the UK, and it's like everyone is in an airport right now. So there is already uh, a lack of focus to real estate, right? There's a lack of focus to the things that we've been bogged down in. I think that people are happy just to take a summer off. So for people who don't have any imminent needs to do anything, go live your life, enjoy the summer like this, let a few things shake out. Um, conversely, I have some clients who are downsizers, who have been sitting waiting for the right condo to come that will then trigger them to want to sell their home that would still continues. You know, I think for people who are buying and selling in the same market, the risks are sort of absorbed because you're catching both on both sides. Um, for people who are thinking about picking up investment condos and telling them absolutely just take a beat and see what happens. You know, I heard a really hilarious expression that um, you know, you can you're dating your interest rate, but you're marrying the price you pay for your house, which kind of made me laugh because it's true. I think that even with these rates going up, the carrying cost for the house um where you're getting a bit of a discount right now, um being the same as it was when rates were super, super low. I think, you know, we're just gonna have to power on through and let that shake itself out. So if you have an actual need where you're sitting there and you know baby's coming or your marriage is um falling apart or you know, you have to sell Nana's house, all of those things, you know, if you can just wait, I think a lot more will be clear in September. I think summer being what summer is, there's a bit of a slowdown. But I think that, you know, life goes on. But I think anyone who is thinking about dabbling or trying to catch the bottom or trying to outsmart this process, I I think that's a risk. Because I would say that even the people who are in charge of this process, they can't even get their hands. They can't even get their hands wrapped around this.
0: I think that's a great point. So uh, Bryn, we're going to go to a quick break. But folks, when we come back, I've got more with Bryn Lackey. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Bryn Lackey. She is a Toronto Sun columnist. She's also a licensed real estate professional with Chestnut Park in Toronto. Um, you know, Bryn, just before the break, you and I were talking about, you know, people trying to gauge the market or almost, as as you mentioned, uh, you know, time the bottom. And it, it, it's kind of funny. I think, you know, even though we've had, you know, morally uh, mostly a, a huge shift in volume, not a whole lot in price now. I just wonder on how many people are sitting on the fence, just, you know, anticipating a a 20 or 30% drop when, even though the economists and all the people that were saying, yeah, interest rates are going to go up, nobody's sitting there saying there's going to be that mass decline just because we don't have very much inventory. And, you know, I'm just wondering how people think that they can actually, you know, project that we're going to be doing that.
1: I mean, it's funny because projections are just that, the projections, um, most of those economic reports that came out have already proven to be incorrect, so they're kind of, I, I think a lot of it time will tell. Um I'm uh, on the ground, I'm certainly seeing things going for a lot less than you would expect. So is it a huge decline? Maybe not in a tra- you know a traceable, trackable way, but I can tell you that houses that I know I would have walked into in November, December, January, and I could have told you what they would sell for are now, you know, they're being listed substantially below that and they're sitting. So I think that anecdotally, we're seeing more. Is it brought across the board? No. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there is no real way to predict what's going to happen with any sort of certainty or any sort of uniformity. But logic tells me that when so much of our market was driven by um, speculation, and I think that we are going to find out, the extent to which that was true. I This is the hill I will die on. I'm convinced that um, so much of what we've seen over the last two and a half years was, yes, we had people with crazed sort of FOMO trying to get in and get um, move on up. But I think so much of this, the competition was driven by people trying to get in on the action. Real estate is now an asset class. It's an investment vehicle. It's not just a home. And I think particularly in Canada, where it's such a huge part, of our GDP, it, it has been normalized. And so I think when those people drop out because simply the numbers no longer make sense, pulling equity out of your house to fund a second property, it's not going to make sense. I think that may be what sort of takes some of the edge off of all of this. Yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting the way you put that though. And, you know, when we take a look at the fact that people you know, pulling equity from their property, take a secondary property. You know, I think I think what the, what the pandemic also proved, though, is that people, you know, if you have to get locked down in a home, you want to make sure that you're comfortable. And this is one of the things that really pushed the market. I think 2020 and beginning of 21 was the fact that, you know, people moving to the outer markets, for example, because they were working from home, but they were looking for the bigger footprint. You know, they were looking for the, to have the extra bedroom, the, you know, pr- potentially a pool, the finished basement. There was a lot of that motivation out there in the very beginning. I don't think it was the knee-jerk reaction where people were saying, you know, we must own an investment property. But I think part of what people have recognized over the last few years is that we also do have an inventory problem. And then with the federal government announcing the new immigration, you know, there is that balancing act. And so looking more from a broad, um, you know, picture in Canada, I still believe that we have you know, I would say still an inventory issue, because even even if it's a person buying a secondary property, normally that secondary property is going to become a rental property. And so I need you to talk about a little bit about the rental market now in the core, because quite frankly, you know, you're almost running a zero vacancy and we're watching your your rental costs go up.
1: And yes, 100%. And I um, think that what's happening in the rental market is fascinating, but it's also logical. Like if you actually take a step back and you see the fact that there are people who are now priced out of the market. There are people who are reluctant to buy in when they're not sure where, you know, if their values will hold. Um, not to mention you've got immigration back and school back and jobs back and just not enough inventory to support it. What we're seeing 20% increases in rent. Um, you know, is that cataclysmic? No. Did we have a little, but we did have a dip um, through COVID. So a bit of that is also a recovery, but it is clear that we... Um, need more to sustain the level of demand we have. I don't think that um, the re- resale market balancing itself back out again is going to change the fact that functionally we have a housing affordability that will keep a certain you know large segment of our population in rentals. And we just are not building rental properties. And then we also have governments who are making decisions that are almost disincentivizing the development of purpose-built rental buildings. So I think that rent is not going down anytime soon. I cannot see how that could possibly be the case.
0: So in a way, aren't we changing one shortage for another? Because, you know, again, when interest rates do start to pick up, you know, we know that if people have sold or they're not going to buy, as you mentioned, you know, they're going to sit on the fence longer. So what do they do? They rent. Same with the new immigration. Most, Most people coming into the country for the first time, they're going to rent. So this goes back to again the narrative okay, so if people were to own investment properties and again i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna pick on the affordable stuff, not so much the brand new fancy condos you know nine foot ceilings granite countertops I, I I'm talking real rental properties the you know the meat and potato you know a you know a minus b plus kind of rental properties maybe a little bit older does it not make sense i mean it it seems like there's gonna be a little bit more affordable. Affordability in that market, not just for the purchaser, but for the renter as well. And so, you know, big picture stuff, you know, I can see that over the next year or two, that owning a rental property is actually going to make it flourish. I'm not talking about, you know, the multi million dollar mansions that people, you know, live in or try to rent for a huge number. I'm talking about the workhorses in the industry.
1: You you mean as just a random person who happens to own an investment property that she uses as a I think, yes, that would be the case, except what we're seeing now is the number of people, because fixed rates were pretty high, variables drew a lot of people towards them. So I think that's great if um, people can carry negative equity or, you know, their negative carrying costs. Because now with um, interest rates up, uh, with natural gas prices higher, I think the carrying cost of these places gets higher. And we have, pretty strict rent controls. So if you have a tenant in there and now your unit is costing you another $600 a month, um, it's going to just be how long people can sustain that. Like, absolutely. I don't think that people will be hurt because there's no shortage of demand to live in these places that they have um, assumed, but it's just a matter of if people can carry it. um, And if they were planning on carrying it and holding it for a while.
0: So speaking of carrying... Uh, recent announcement by the provincial government, you know, rents can go up 2.5%. That's the maximum allowable um, by the province. And that's for next year in 2023. Again, you know, the year before during COVID 2021, no rental increase uh, was permitted this year, 2022, 1.2. You know, a lot of people, a lot of tenants are saying they're saying not fair. But if you take a look at inflation, you know, landlords numbers are way up, as you mentioned, cost of caring, things like that you know, is, is again, seems like a bit of a negative light is being spin on the landlords, even though 2.5 isn't going to overcome what they actually had in in increased expenses.
1: No, and actually if you, there's like a whole black hole on Twitter of people fighting about, um, you know, tenants' rights versus landlords' rights versus tenants are essentially paying the property tax for landlords. And it's this whole, you know, sort of, that I can't really delve too deeply into because I find it slightly horrifying. Um, But, you know, I think that there are a lot of things that are, we need to incentivize people having rental properties. As long as people cannot afford to buy homes, they need to rent from someone. So I think that right now we have a landlord tenant board that is, the tribunal is so backed up that people cannot get hearings. So the horror stories you're hearing from people um, about these deadbeat tenants, their next level. And I, and I have people write me and say, hey, can you talk about this? Um, the flip side is, I also know countless stories of these hideous, deadbeat landlords who are essentially um, without reproach because there is no accountability. Because we're in an affordability crisis, people will stay in a complete slummy apartment because it's what they can afford, because rents have jumped up so much. So I think concurrent to all of this, yes, we have the supply. Yes, we have the fact that there is no shortage of demand. But we also have to look at how it's being sustained, because ultimately, if tenants are being essentially abused by their landlords, if landlords are being abused by their tenants and there's nothing in place to ensure that everyone is being held to account properly, then we're missing a huge portion of the discussion. And I think that that is a really important thing. I tell people all the time, do you know what a landlord, being a landlord means? That's great that you can afford investment property. Are you prepared for the fact that you could get a tenant who looks great and they could stop paying rent? So it could be eight months before you even get a hearing. And then to get them out, the requirement will be just throwing your hands in air and saying, fine, don't pay me back. Just get out of my place. Like that is sort of the the, I mean, that's a hyperbolic example, but that's not unusual and i think that those conversations are important when we're trying to incentivize more rental properties
0: yeah i think that's a wonderful point bryn we're going to go to a quick break when we come back folks i've got more with bryn lackey so stay with me i'll be right back after this and welcome back if you're just tuning in my guest right now is bryn lackey and she is a columnist at the toronto sun she's also a registered real estate professional with chestnut park real estate in Toronto, um, just before the break, Brent, you and I were talking about landlords, tenants. We, you know, we did bring up the fact that you know there are definitely bad bad actors in both sides, both landlord and tenant. And unfortunately, you know, based on the time that you take to get through the the landlord tenant boards, there uh, it, it takes quite a while. And you know, as an active landlord, I can tell you that you know it's it's not easy. And when when you again when you have both you know, bad players on both sides. You, you definitely need kind of a, a body that can answer to this whole thing. And unfortunately, that's that's what we're lacking in Ontario. We definitely need to strengthen that part of it. But, you know, you, you did touch on something that's interesting that, you know, even though we hear provincial and federal governments trying to encourage more purpose-built rentals, it really seems like they're falling on that one. They're just not, you know, I all campaign promises, you know, we just went through provincial, we've done a federal one last year. You know, we hear all these promises about number of units being built, but that number, I mean, first of all, it's pie in the sky. Like when somebody says we're going to build 1.5 million, you know, units in the next 10 years, I mean, it's just it's a laughable number. There's no way they can do it. You know, do you see a solution in the future? I mean, you know, right now we're, we're waiting for the little standalone landlord to buy that condo and rent it out in most cases. And I think that's that's maybe the only way we have any kind of inventory, uh, you know, brought in. Uh,
1: I mean, it's it's full scale infuriating. I mean, I hear the conversations. I watch um, each party's platform. They talk about, we have an affordability crisis. And then you watch the teeny tiny small decisions get made. That are completely counter to what they've stated their goals are. And those all come together to put up barrier after barrier after barrier of actually getting housing built. And I know that there was, especially during the run-up um, in, in the condo market at least, and, and so slightly different, but there was tons of talk about supply, 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 supply. And at the end of the day, if it's not built, it doesn't exist. And that's the problem. This is actual housing. This is places where people live. It's not just an intellectual data point. And when you see things like CMHC has construction financing, and they have a new policy now of like who they will loan to and the criteria of the building, and it's going to affect uh, investors who want to go in and refurbish existing rental properties. Like that should be a no-brainer. These little decisions that get made about who will fund what and who will bear the cost and you know, the, the length of time and the process by which these approvals come through, they are all together responsible for the fact that nothing is getting built. And yet all these politicians are up there saying, no, no, like, let's get, let's get things moving. Let's get it built. This is a priority. It's It's not a priority because the small scale decisions are what actually, you know, advances the boat forward. And I don't see any of that happening, but we talk a lot about it. And so I think it's more of a show don't tell at this point.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, obviously they want to get the votes and they want to put it front and center cause it's been, it's been a big issue. And it's not just, it's not just during COVID. I mean, this, this has been a conversation for the last 20 years. And you know, when the studies are done we know how many properties we are short and you know, as, as the population grows that shortage is going to get bigger. So ultimately in the end, I. I don't know or have not seen a politician give us a correct solution yet. And, you know, as we talk about it, the idea of having the right person, you know, step up and become landlords, you know, again, the red tape, you know, we are seeing a provincial government that's at least having a conversation about red tape, but it's very lengthy. And Right now, you know, you can look at seven to 10 years before, you know, something actually starts getting built in some of these areas. And that's not going to be a solution that is going to be, you know, and end well for us because that's gonna be the pent up demand over the next decade and we're just gonna need more.
1: For sure. And then I think well, I mean, to your point, we haven't seen anyone actually step up and do it because it's it's unpopular. You know, it, it's like the tough love you do as a parent. Like your kids are mad at you when you're doing the like heavy lifting as a parent. And it's the same with politicians. Like if we need supply, that means actually dealing with angry constituents who don't want um, zoning to change in their areas, who don't want a building going up on the corner that's going to block the, the sunshine to the 100-year-old tree. Like, we're talking about people who are very firmly invested in the status quo. And I think that politicians in the business of being reelected, particularly city councillors, they, they will fight a parking lot. You know, there was that classic example in the East End, a neighborhood up in arms that a parking lot was going to give way to housing. You know, because it would hurt the, the character of the neighborhood. And that counselor, for some reason, was not embarrassed to stand there and defend that, you know, defend those people saying, No, no, save our parking lot. And I think that as long as that's the calculus, and it and it is, um, not much can change. I think we also concurrently have the fact that housing brings in money for cities. And I right now we have um, council talking about doubling development charges.
0: You can imagine the square footage price though, Bryn, when when we start talking about that. Because right now, your typical condo, you're looking at almost $150,000 of that price is going to development charges overall to the city. And that's just for, let's say, a one-bedroom unit that's going to be running around $700,000. You can imagine if they start doubling it what's that going to do to our price of real estate
1: well and they for some reason in this conversation there's this magical thinking that we're going to stick with the developer right the, the developer will have to bear that cost well first of that cost will just get passed off to the consumer to the maximum the, the market will bear and guess what if the project is not profitable project gets canceled housing doesn't get built so it, it's not like there's a magic wand where you know you can hide the medicine in there and the developers won't notice we are literally charging the middle class, because it's the middle class that gets real... Real estate is this mechanism, this vehicle by which the, the middle class historically can you know, advance the ball for themselves. So if we're making it so that they cannot afford housing, that is a decision that's directly impacting the middle class. That's Developers will go develop in Regina. Like they will not stick around with Toronto if it's not profitable. And that's the part that I'm finding really frustrating watching because I, I am... Admittedly, I am just a real estate agent. I'm not an economist. I am not, um, you know, an investment analyst. I have a very limited um, frame of reference here, but as just a person who can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time, I think it seems pretty obvious. So, if that's my take, imagine sort of the complicity of these people who surely can see all of these moving pieces and are pretending not to.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to throw on one more hat because you know my background does come from contracting, and I know for a fact that the trade industry and the builders we are going to be running a shortage of of employment very soon because we've got a lot of people that are going to be retiring out of the trades and for us to meet the demands you know we we would almost have to allocate every new person that's coming into canada to become some you know have some kind of trade and and this is the other thing i think that we should all be very concerned about is because you know you're and and I'll just go down to the the you know people that are doing drywall framing you know um everything from you know people that do tile everything all the trades we are coming to an era to to an age where people are going to retire they figure in the in the building industry you know over the next 10 years it's going to be the biggest level of retirement they've ever seen and we don't have it being backfilled. And I think that this is even going to put more pressure, as you said, if, if developments aren't being built, which means we bring fewer developments, this is going to continue to put pressure on the actual you know, value of these properties. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there are so many oh, sort of warning bells that should be going off right now. And I, I think we're just so used to hearing them that maybe they've just, you know, we, we, they've just sort of faded into the landscape at this point. But yeah, I think that there are real risks to not keeping, um, you know, the ball moving forward. And I think that we, everything is so politicized. We we seem to have nonstop elections, and what we need is someone to just get in there and make um, a commitment to actually carry us forward. And yes, we have with the retirement of the boomers, especially the construction industry will be slowed right down. As it is, like good luck trying to get anyone. To do anything in your house, you know they can get pushed at the eleventh hour and paid double. Um, we are seeing th- what is likely to become even worse, um, and no recession is going to change the fact that pipes burst and you know um, basements leak and drywall needs repaired. Like those all continue. What happens is on the other side of this, on the other side of a recovery what will be there because we're, we're just missing a moment.
0: Listen, Bryn, always a pleasure having you on the show. If our listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get you?
1: Oh, that's Bryn, B-R-Y-N-N, lackey at chestnutpark.com.
0: Listen, always a pleasure. Like I said, thank you so much for joining me this week and we will chat with you soon. Thanks so much. So when we come back, folks, I'm going to be joined by Dave Butler from BM Select. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break when I was talking to Bryn Lackey, my next guest, he's definitely no stranger to the show. And, um, you know what? I really don't need to introduce him. I'll just say Dave's here, (laughs) but it is Dave Butler from BM Select. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Um, so, you know, not much going on in the world. So maybe you can share with our listeners the best cocktail recipe you've got. Um, you know, right now it could take it maybe a little bit of shaking of nerves, you know, uh, a good, you know, let's call it a good hundred points of, I don't know, wake up juice or something, but the Bank of Canada, boy, did they ever mix up the cocktail this week?
2: Yeah, I think everyone needs a cocktail to uh, help digest the news that, uh, that came in this week. Uh, Yeah. Bank of Canada with a very aggressive hundred basis point move, Um, you know, for most, People, 100 base point, what does that mean? Well, it's a 1%. So that's a, a 1.00% increase to the Bank of Canada prime rate. Uh, this has not happened since the 90s. So we are in certainly uncharted territory in the 2000s. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, this was certainly, we knew they were going to come with an aggressive move. I think most people were pricing in a 75 basis point increase. Um, it was 100 Again, um, I would say shocked a lot of people, um, but you know, I think you know some people are trying to read between the lines. What does this mean, you know, for the Bank of Canada, or, or is this maybe one of their big final bullets that they have left? Um, but they have clearly said that they're going to continue on with the mandate of getting inflation under control. And you and I have talked about that. I think uh, you know, last month I was on talking about speaking to an economist at one of the banks in Canada who had said that the finance minister and the government has decided that inflation is their number one target. And it's irrespective of how the, how how that affects the housing market. So certainly it sounds like they are backing up what they're saying. Um, But yeah, big moves by the bank of Canada and and this is going to have I believe uh, some impact for sure. So let's talk
0: about that because you mentioned, you know, when we talk about the bank of Canada and, and talk about inflation, but one of the things Dave, that they threw out in the narrative this week, was the fact they flat out targeted real estate on this. And their comment was this, they wanted to cool the real estate market. Now, you know, why I take exception to that is that, you know, we understand that, you know, when we take a look at real estate in its whole, like it's a big part of the Canadian economy, you know, they've got inflationary issues. You and I both have had that discussion. A lot of it has to do obviously with oil and the cost of goods being transported. So, my my big part of this is, and, and again, once again, I, you know, if if for our listeners that have listened to Dave and I chat over the years, one of the things we've always said is, the government needs to keep their noses out of real estate. And we started, as soon as they, as soon as they did a little bit of a blip there in the market, you know, we've been on kind of this soft landing approach since February. You know, some of the wind came out of the sails, which is fine. You know, prices weren't aggressively going up. If anything, they were kind of becoming a little bit more status status quo, you know, they started to soften, not softened in a negative way, but just not nearly as aggressive volume was way down. I think they've overstepped. Okay. And I, and, and, I'll be the first person, you know, to, to, if, if, if I had Tiff Macklin's, you know, phone number, I'd, I would call him and say, look, I think you've overstepped on this one because, and it's not that I don't want to see, you know, a normalization of the real estate market. But what I think is, is they're actually, you know, I, I think it's bad form for them to do this because it's a little too aggressive. And, you know, I, maybe they're just trying to, like, wake everybody up and say, listen, we're here to control things. But ultimately, in the end, I, I do think it's a bad move. Yeah, I mean, I,
2: yeah, I think a lot of people would, do, would agree with you. Um, you know, I, you know the, the interesting part about this is that the, the more aggressive the move, the more likely we end up in a recession. And, you know, to your point, you know, with, with regards to, um, you know, have they, have they overstepped? Um, Look, the bond market, you know, the bond yields in the bond market are pricing in now a recession. One of the key factors and one of the key things I was looking at yesterday was the five year Canadian bond yield Um, with a 100 basis point surprise increase where most of the street was expecting 75. My interest quickly went to the five bond yield, because if the five year bond yield spiked hard and continued hard, then that would likely mean that no one was expecting this and that this is a big move and that you know maybe we need to reprice the reality is the 5 year bond traded off and basically just spiked a little bit when the announcement came out and traded pretty much at par with the previous day what does that tell someone like myself it tells me that bond market has basically said look this is a recession you have a recession coming and and to your point with respect to overstepping um, very Interesting to see the bonds not go in the same direction as the Bank of Canada. And that is a telling sign. Typically, the bond yields are going to be the canary in the coal mine. And uh, it is interesting to see how things traded uh, throughout the rest of the week
0: yeah and you know what we'll do is you know obviously this is something that you and I watch on a daily basis but you know let's talk about the market for a second so here's the thing one of the one of the numbers that we do know is that uh, or are actually several numbers we know first and foremost we still have a low inventory that's kicking around I think this is gonna sideline a lot of people that were thinking of you know selling their homes I think a lot of people are are well positioned because if we take a look at the actual mortgages, and and even though you and I do like variable rate, there are, majority of mortgages are normally a five-year term. And a lot of those people won't be coming up for renewal for another year, two, three, or four. and this is this is a big part of it. You know, I know this is going to have an effect on somebody that, let's say, potentially, Uh, you know, a 2017 purchase, which again, they would have purchased a little bit lower number because that was a downturn market. If you remember, July 2017 was not a hot market. It was on, it started coming down on the heels from March of 2017 when we started watching the numbers drop. So if you and I do our numbers and math, I would imagine that there's still a lot of people that are kind of in a safety zone. So this is why I'm saying, you know, the sky's not falling for values because there's a lot of people that this is not going to have an adverse effect to for their primary or, you know, investment, you know, residents, more so maybe their credit card debt.
2: hundred percent. I mean, this is the, the, the only people really that are affected today and then over the next, maybe six to 12 months, depending on how long the bank of Canada keeps up with this mandate are those that have renewals coming up. Um, you know, that is really it. If you got your home or your mortgage in 2019, 2020, 2020, 20- 2021 and you signed a five-year term uh, especially if you did sign a five-year fixed term you don't have anything to worry about this this news does not have any impact on your affordability and your mortgage payments. so um you know but certainly for those that do have renewals coming up um i think this now you know it's funny in the past renewals were not really a big thing because rates were so low traditionally and banks were giving out you know very good renewal rates to retain business um and a lot of people would just take the best fixed rates that the banks were offering. I think right now there's a lot of people that tell you what that would tell you, and myself included, that I don't necessarily know if a fixed rate is the rate to take today. Um, you know, if we if we anticipate that rates will come back down once inflation is under control, then you don't want to be locking in at the top of the market. Um, so for those that do have renewals coming up now and in the beginning of next year, I think it's very very wise that you have. Real discussions with your mortgage professional, whether that's a banker or a broker, and speak to some people, smart people that can give you some good advice. You really likely, likely want to ride a flexible term that's going to allow you the potential to take advantage of lower rates in the possible near future. And what I mean by that is maybe in the next year or two. Um, So that's, you know, again, very, very important that your listeners know no one's affected by this unless you have a renewal coming up or unless you're currently purchasing now. But if you are, doesn't mean it's doomsday. It just means we need to strategize. We need to make a plan. And to be honest, that's what a mortgage professional should be doing for you.
0: So, Dave, what about uh, 30-year and 35-year amortization? That's definitely going to help some of our listeners when we talk about you know getting through kind of a tough spot.
2: Yeah, so... The cool thing to understand is that if you do have a renewal coming up or maybe you're just thinking about, you know, looking at refinancing to possibly lower your payment, if you're on a lower amortization right now, you can always look at refinancing or approaching your bank to see if they will put you back on an extended amortization with a conventional mortgage with most A banks, you know, A rated you know, chartered banks in Canada you're going to be able to go up to a 30 year amortization. And a lot of people don't know this, but B lenders, some of the B lenders that currently have some pretty attractive rates comparative to A, um, they'll allow amortizations even above 30 year. Um, I saw a flyer kind of come out today. I call it a flyer, but like an email flyer from one of the lenders who, you know, it, was kind of, it was kind of interesting. They were showing the difference between A bank rate, a current chartered A bank rate at say 5.39%, what the payment would be on a 25 year amortization. And then they showed what it would be with a B lender on a 35 year amortization. The payment was actually lower with the B lender. So, you know, again, when times are tough, when we need to, you know, make sure that we are in a position where our families and everyone is taken care of, sometimes approaching your mortgage professional, your banker, and seeing if you have options to extend your amortization to lower your payment would be something to do in a time like this. And certainly, Ed, to your point, you know, and, and even going with even a little further with amortization, I think amortization is something that is on the table with respect to the government, looking at ways that they can help Canadians with home ownership in these tough times. I would not be shocked to see big banks and the government allowing larger amortizations in 30 years. Now, it certainly may take some time for that to happen, but you and I can both remember, Todd, I, I got to say, go back to what, 2006, 2007. Most people won't remember this. There were 40-year amortizations available, buying as little with as little as 5% down. So the amortizations, extended amortizations are there. It is a tool that the government can use. And I think they're going to start looking in their, in their toolbox to see what they can do to help Canadians out.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so. Listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, best way for our, our listeners to reach you?
2: Yeah, they could give us a call at the office. The number is one 684 8326 or just shoot us an email. Our email address is info at bmselect.ca.
0: Excellent. Alrighty, folks, that was Dave uh, Butler from BM Select. I want to thank Bryn Lackey also for joining me. And uh, most importantly, I want to thank Ian Grant. He keeps it simple for me every single week. And I want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. By the way, I will be back next week. As usual, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.